Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. I'm Kim Grenolds of dogman.com with Chris Fetter, Scott Eklund, Friday afternoon. Initial press conference with Coach Kalen DeBoer. Spring ball starts on Monday. We will have practice next week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Kind of collides a little bit with the Pac-12 basketball tournament, which starts Wednesday. I'm not sure. Washington is either going to play. I think they're most likely to play at 2.30 on Wednesday. So we'll see what happens. But, you know, first of all, you know, probably the biggest thing that came out of today's uh, uh, meeting with Coach DeBoer's Julius Irvin has elected to medically retire. And we talk a little bit about that, Scott, and what Coach DeBoer had to say. But typically, like with Coach Pete, when guys would medically retire, they were still involved with the program. They were helping Coach. Uh, so we'll see what happens with Julius Irvin. But uh, highly touted kid seemed to be injured quite a bit. Yeah, and I had been making mentions on this on the board. I made mentions of it in um, some other things, too that I thought there was a good chance <clears throat> that he wouldn't even be around <clears throat> this year, and that's going to end up being the case. Um, I knew that he had just struggled with it um, ever since he even arrived at the University of Washington. He had been struggling with injuries and never was fully healthy. He's a really He was a really talented guy coming out of uh, Servite High School, um, and, you know, great pedigree. His dad was a longtime cornerback in the NFL, and, and uh, so it's kind of sad to see it happen, but he's going to move on with his life. Um, Coach DeBoer talked about how uh, much respect he had for him because he was willing to make the move up to cornerback from safety where he was um, and, and just be thrown out there, thrown out there to the Lions almost. And, and also um, that he was injured and he was taking the place of guys who were injured. And so... <clears throat> you know, had just a ton of respect for what he was able to do and thinks he's going to go off and do some really cool things. I thought life. it was interesting when asked, you know, if it was one injury, it was kind of like. No, there was I, a bunch. It sounded like, I use the, I use the verbiage beat to hell. Yeah. He's just beat to hell. Yeah, he is. He's just beat up. Yeah. Upper body, lower Shoulder body. injuries, knees, ankles, all that stuff. Yeah. He's, it, it's just time. Yeah. No, I mean, it's a situation where if anybody saw him play, you know, in, in certain games, I know uh, Coach DeBoer talked a little bit about the UCLA game. You watch him. There is no way he was playing at 100%. And on top of that, he was being asked to do some things that he literally, I don't even know if they had practiced for it or he was kind of in an emergency situation. This is just one of those things where um, one of the things we're going to be talking about over the course of this podcast is cross-training. And we're not talking about doing basketball and all the other things that you do in the offseason. We're talking about positional cross-training with yep. DBs. And so, you know, that's just one of the symptoms of having a first-year staff where there's just not a lot of time to do the things that you need to do to get guys uh, prepared. And, and obviously Julius Irvin was willing to get in there and, and take the hit as a veteran and try to do the best that he could. And unfortunately, 
Um, he was really, really banged up when he was doing it. He also mentioned Devon Banks, and Devon was hurt at the end of last year. Sounds like mm -hmm. he, I mean, from what we'd heard, he'd had off-season surgery, and yeah. he's not expected to do much for spring ball. Yeah, he'll be limited non-contact guy. So that was the first guy that he really mentioned. And then I asked about Vince Nunley, um, and because he blew his knee out in fall camp, right? It was fall camp, that like first week of fall camp, and uh, blew his knee out. And so he's still recovering, but... DeBoer, I had been told that he was going to miss the entire spring ball, just was going to be held out and let him recover. But it sounds like he's made enough progress that Coach DeBoer thinks that starting week, you know, ne next Monday on the 6th, by the end of spring ball, which is m mid to late uh, April, he'll be doing a lot more stuff than he will early on. Yeah, we um... – have guys, there's going to be a few uh, guys from this last recruiting class that are going to be able to make it in for spring ball. And then there will be some guys who will enroll, but not in time to uh, do the spring ball. So they'll be able to first talk. three, three practices. Yeah. I thought it was more than that. Some guys maybe that wouldn't get here for spring. Ball. No, we'll talk a little bit about, well, those yeah, guys. there's, there's a number of guys that won't be here for spring ball. The, those are all the, the fall, fall enrollees. Fall We're enrollees. talking, those are the guys that will come in in June for the leap program. And we're talking about Leroy Bryant, Soane Fasolo, Vincent Holmes, Elijah Jacket, or is it Jaquette? Jaquette. Jaquette. Jacob Lane, Tayshawn Lyons, Austin Mack, Curly Reed, Keith Reynolds, Kali Tafai, and Rashid Williams. Those are all the guys that are coming in in June for the leap for fall camp. Um, the guys that won't be here for the first three practices, which start Monday, Caleb Presley, Landon Hatchett, Elenius Davis, Dylan Johnson, the transfer running back from Mississippi State, and then the new quarterback uh, walk-on, Alex Johnson from Santa Barbara. Santa Barbara, yeah, college, junior college, and Adam Saul, the JUCO punter. Yeah. Um, so those are the guys that will actually miss the first three practices, the ones coming up this coming week, but they'll be here in time for spring because that coincides with the beginning of spring quarter. Mm -hmm. So they'll enroll for spring quarter, and then they'll be ready for the final 12 practices, including spring game. Yeah, and then in addition, they've got some guys that are going to be here for the first three. Who are the guys that were going to be here for okay, the first three? Okay, that enrolled early? Yeah. That have already enrolled. So it's all the other uh, transfers. So Jeremy Bernard, Raylan Goforth, um, uh, Nagata, Daniel Nagata, um, Jabbar Muhammad. There's yeah, four. Zach Durfee. And Zach Durfee Josh and Josh Cuevas. Cuevas. So the five, the, so those five or six um, transfers. And then you have. Um, I was going to say the high school players. The high school guys. Zachary Henning is one of them. That's that's the only offensive lineman who came in early. Landon Hatchett will come in yeah. for the last 12 practices. But Let's see. Um, Anthony James is definitely here. Anthony James. You also have the two linebackers. Uh, yeah, the two linebackers. So Devin Bryant, Jordan Whitney. Mm hmm I'm uh, just going down the list here. See, I thought Elenius Davis was already here, but he won't be here no, until spring. Tybo Rogers. Tybo Rogers is here. Um, let's see, Diesel Gordon is mm -hmm. here, the, the Texas defensive back. Uh, you mentioned Henning, James. Like I said, I'm just oh, Thaddeus Dixon. Thaddeus Dixon, the Juco uh, defensive Corner. back. And let's see if there's anybody else. I think that's it. Okay. Yep, that's it. That's it. Scott, you know, just with Landon Hatch, it's a guy who's going to be here early, but a lot of talk about um, him possibly being a guy who could compete for that job at center. Do you think that's realistic? No, not not for the starting gig, no. I think Mateo Mele has pretty much got that one wrapped up. Um, I'd be shocked if Hatchett overtook him or Parker Brailsford, to be honest with but you. Let, but let's be clear, guys. 
Scott, I mean, they've talked specifically about how Hatchet, that is the first true center that Scott Huff's ever recruited to Washington. Mm -hmm. So he will be a center. There's no doubt about where he's going to be in the competition. And I actually asked Coach DeBoer after um, the, the, the press conference today about how many centers he would like to have ideally in terms of just guys that could snap, even in an emergency. Because I know, I think Huff over the years, even before uh, Coach DeBoer, he, I think he talked about at least maybe five guys mm-hmm. that he would like to have snap. And DeBoer said, yeah, we'd love to get to that number. He goes, we're not there yet. Yeah. So he, he talked about maybe like a guy like Miles Morale could be a guy that could end up being a, a guy that could try to get snap. Another one is Owen Prentice. But it definitely – and then he, he mentioned a little bit about Garen Hatchett, but I almost get the feeling that they might like Garen a little bit more at guard right, right now. Right guard. So yep. we'll yeah. see. A lot of talk about their off-season conditioning program and what they're able to do and just where they were a year ago compared to now. But Chris talked a little bit about some of the numbers that he gave, you know, just uh, that actually have some meaning behind them. Yeah, no, there's there's no question they, he talked about. Obviously, there's no question that, that just in general, the biggest gains that a program makes are from year one to year two. And so he said that these numbers were per player on average – from August when they started fall camp and they tested them to their very latest testing numbers, which happened, I think, either like this morning last or week. yesterday yeah, or whatever. It was, but it was within the last couple of days. He said that the average vertical jump gain was two and a half inches. He mentioned Elijah Jackson had a 40-inch vertical jump, um, which stood out to him. He said this, the broad jump, the standing broad jump, was four inches. Uh, the bench press in terms of reps of 225 pounds, he said there was a, uh, an average gain of three reps per player. He said their bench max was up uh, per average per player 20 pounds. And he said their squat per player on average was up 45 pounds. So, I mean, maybe by themselves that doesn't sound all that amazing, but... Really, well, if, if you, you if, if you, you think, think about, about it, it, yeah, one one player might have ten, another guy might have sixty. Yeah, you know, when yeah. you talk about you know vertical jump and then you throw all the linemen in there, mm-hmm. that's going to take it down. And when you talk about bench press, when you throw the corners in there, mm-hmm. that changes quite or, a bit. Or receivers. Well, and yeah. also if you think about it, it's really about a six month, six to seventh month cycle. Mm-hmm. You know, now if you go and they keep doing what they're doing, because he talked about their average practice week being they would go Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and then they would lift on Tuesday, Thursday do whatever they wanted to do, do meetings, what have you. If you go through another cycle of like six months, which almost puts you right at the very beginning of the season, you could see guys make another inch or two gain on a vertical jump or another rep on the bench. So these things are all cumulative because they continue and they continue to work on it. He also mentioned about where they were a year ago when they were doing their training uh, things in the weight room how they would do three-minute uh, three uh, reps and then uh, go to the next rep. And he mentioned last year that it was just a matter of survival to get to the next station mm-hmm. for their reps. And this year they're all running. They're just so much further along than they were a year ago. He, just, he said that um, they've, they've kind of reestablished what the idea of what hard is for them. So he said, you know, obviously going through those things because – one of the things he he mentioned actually a couple of things I thought were really interesting. First of all, he goes, typically when they've looked around in strength and conditioning programs, winter conditioning usually they do eight stations. That's a kind of untypical. What Coach McCaffrey does is that they add on an additional four stations on top of that 
just because they feel in their minds they're doing, they want to do more than the average team's doing anyways on top of it. So they're already doing extra. And then something I, I asked Scott about, because he hadn't heard about it either, Coach DeBoer talked about they did kind of an end of the year uh, or end of the winter. winter conditioning banquet. <clears throat> so they had an end of the year banquet actually after the season, but now they just had another banquet to kind of celebrate all the stuff that they were able to do in the off season too, which is something I'd never heard about. Well, when you bring in a new staff, they have a different way of doing things. And I remember Coach Pete, you know, was talking about his frustration and, you know, just some of the guys, how hard is it to keep a locker room clean? And coming into Coach DeBoer's you know, system and just having to learn a totally new offense and a totally new way they're doing things with a new strength and conditioning staff, There's there was a lot to absorb last year. So the floor uh, this year, you know, when you talk about floor and ceiling, the floor this year is a lot higher than it was a year well, ago. Well, one thing that I remember was uh, the changeover from Tyrone Willingham's staff to uh, to Sark's Sorry. staff, and I remember the players because I wasn't here covering them on a day to day basis like you were, Chris. And you said that uh, Jermaine Curse and some of these other guys came in just soaking wet and said they could barely lift their arms, and that Ivan um, Lewis. Lewis. Lewis came in, and you guys were like. Wow, you guys really worked him hard. And he goes, "Oh no, that was just the warm up. We haven't even gotten to the real hard stuff yet." Yeah. Well, and one of <laughs> the know, things too that that DeBoer talked about, I talked to him a little bit about afterwards, is that they've had a really good participation in what they call activation, which is just the pre before you even go to work out. They they want guys to go through like extra stretching so that they're really thoroughly warmed up so you don't pull a hamstring or you don't do something dumb. Then mm-hmm. you know, if you'd just taken an extra ten minutes to do the extra stretching, he goes, you know, and before he goes, there would be pretty good participation and we would want them to do it, but it was clearly a voluntary thing um, to kind of <laughs> handle your work before you actually even got to practice. And he goes, Now he goes, the the participation's off the charts. He goes it's those little types of things that you see the, the gains made from year one to year two that can make all the difference. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. We talked to Coach also about um, where the battles are going to occur out on the field starting on Monday. And I think it's, you know, the two that stand out are going to be the offensive line and just in the secondary. Um, But you take a look at that offensive line, they lose three of their starters, but they've got some experience coming back. And if you're only going to have two guys return, you know, 
the tackles as the guys you want to return. And they've got Roger Rosengarten at right tackle, who is a freshman All-American, and then Troy Fatutanu, who played really, mm-hmm. really well last year. So that left guard, center, and right guard are going to be where the key competition is, probably where we need to focus quite a bit on our coverage. Yeah, definitely. I, I still think that it's going to take a lot for someone to overcome Mateo Mele. I think Mele at center. Yeah, at center. Um, but the the right and left guard, you know, I, I'd say at this point, and, and I said it in my offensive line article, my preview, that Nate Kaleppo and Garrett Hatchett seem to have the inside track to be the starters at left guard and right guard, respectively. But it's going to be a battle all spring long and all through the offseason, all the way into fall camp, probably in the first week or two of camp. They're probably going to be battling for that spot. But um, you know, I think Washington's in good shape there. I think uh, guard Memelar has come along. I don't know if he's ready, but he's come along. They like what Julius Bulow can do at, at uh, right guard, which we saw him as a starter in, what, 2021, first, what, three or four games? Yeah, well, Jackson was out. Jackson yeah. Kirkland was out, yeah. No, no, no. No, this was – Jackson Kirkland was the left tackle. This is 2021. Okay. 2021, Julius Bulow's in there at left guard, and he, he was atrocious. Yeah. And, he, I mean, miss, he had missed assignments and all that kind of stuff. Now, we're talking two years later. He played almost half a season, yeah. if I remember right. Yeah, started. and we're talking two years later here. And I thought he played pretty well as the backup at right tackle. Yeah. Um, and, but, you know, they've, they've decided to move him inside and let him battle against Garen Hatchett at right guard. And you know what? Let the best man win. If Julius Bulow and Nate Kaleppo are the starting two guards, mm-hmm. will they be bigger? Will they have two guys on the inside that are bigger than their tackles? Well, Rosengarten normally wouldn't be considered a small tackle, but playing next to Julius Bulow, he yeah, will be. Yeah, For and, sure. And uh, and Kaleppo is bigger than Fautano. Well, he's taller he's than Fautano. I don't know if he's necessarily bigger, but yeah. he's taller. And Mateo Mele has the length of a tackle. So, I mean, you could be talking about the longest offensive line Washington's ever had. Yeah, and I know we'll be talking about this once we actually see them line up in their first team practices, whatever. I mean, on Monday or Wednesday, whenever it is. When we see them line up and we start to see various groups mm-hmm. starting, to, you know, the mixing and matching is definitely going to happen. There's no question about it. So following that, with especially in the interior, is going to be a huge part of what we're doing, as Kim was saying. But there's two things that people should keep in mind when they're following all this stuff. The two easiest ways to do this is that, especially when you're looking at, like, tackle depth, for instance, everyone's going to be focused on the three guys inside. But what about the guys beyond Fautanu and Rosengarten. We're talking about R.J. Wersch. We're talking about Samuel Peacock. Um, are we talking about Henning? Is he going to be an inside or outside guy? He's going to be an, in, he's going to be an outside guy. So he is going yeah. to be an outside guy. Mm-hmm. So you're really looking at those types of guys. Yep. That's are, why you are, wish you, you could have got Fa'asolo and Jaquette in here. Right, but the, but the two ways that you're going to go about it if you're Scott Huff is that you're either going to play just tackles <laughs> that have the ability to go either left or right or you play them on sides. So you have like Julius Bulow, who has a you know history at both guard and tackle, mm-hmm. can play both. You just play him at right guard to start, and then if Rosengarten needs to come out for a second, you put him, you just slide him out. So you're either going to look at guys that play tackle exclusively and can go either side, or you're going to stay with one side or the other. So if they're a right guard. They'd play right tackle, left guard, left tackle. Yeah, and 
It's just when we were listening, I was listening to uh, Coach DeBoer last night. He was on with Softy. He was sure uh, singing the praises of Bulo and Kalepo. And it seems like a lot of these guys, it takes a little, I think it takes a little bit longer for high school offensive linemen mm -hmm. to become men mm -hmm. and play college football. But I think this is the year where Nate Kalepo and Julius Bulo have gone from being that high school player and that inexperienced guy to a veteran, and they've, they've, they've become grown-ass well, men. Nate Kalepo started the first three games uh, at um, left, or left guard. Mm -hmm. And then when uh, uh, Jackson Kirkland came back, he took a step back, and then he rotated between right and left left guard right. uh, throughout the season. And um, there was some frustration on his part, I think. I yeah. think he felt like he played well enough, and Scott Huff said he played just fine. And in the but, 19 season, he yeah. was the one who backed up Kirkland yeah. at left tackle. Yeah, and and so I, I've got to believe that um, Kalepo – is going to be able – he knows this is his chance because he's got two years to start. He's got this coming fall, and, and if, if, he doesn't, if he doesn't get a good draft grade, then he, goes, then he plays one more season. He, he's got the body, the athleticism, all the stuff you want to go to the NFL. He just has to prove it down on the field. And if he can get it done on the field, um, I, there's no reason to think he couldn't have a 10-year yeah, NFL there, career. There's no question right now the way things line up where they have experience – it's 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 with guys like Kalepo and Bulo. So if you're going to have backups at your tackle spots, it's going to be much easier to move those guys mm -hmm. out than to try to rely on younger players like Worsh and, and Peacock, who frankly just need a Still ton need more, more, reps. more reps. Just a ton more reps to, to get into into contention. And when you talk about these young guys that people haven't seen and haven't seen the field, you know, which one of those guys can really step up? You know, you're talking about Worsh, you're talking about Peacock, the incoming freshman, but I, I think Owen Prentice is a guy that, you know, we need to keep an eye on and Miles he, Morale. That's another well, one. He's not exactly a young guy. You know, well, that's, that's why his time is now. Yeah. yeah. But of the young guys I'm talking about, you know, those, those, you know, young, yeah. those youngsters, I think Owen Prentice might be the one that would be most likely to make a move. Yeah. Could he, could he actually be a center? Yes. Yes. He was recruited. I know that they're calling Landon Hatchett the true center that they brought in, but part of that's because he played center, right? Is right. that what, but Owen Prentice played guard, but he was always brought in with the thought that he would end up being a center when he yeah. was at the University of Washington. And same with Miles Morale. Both of those guys were being brought in as centers, but neither of them have worked out. And right now, the coaches ha did have apprentice uh, snapping uh, during, the, during practices that we watched, but he wasn't really taking a lot of reps with the third team. The third team center that I remember was Gearn Hatchett yeah. last year. Yeah. And, so, and Morale was brought in, like you said. Everybody thought he was going to be center. Has he taken any reps at center? I haven't seen it once. I haven't seen him. Other mostly, than maybe snapping, yeah. like, off to the side. Right, mostly right guard. Yeah. The guy, honestly, I would think, if you're looking for a younger player that might get snaps, would be Brailsford. Yeah. I think Parker Brailsford is, is the guy. Because we were – I remember a year ago when he came in early and people were talking about how he could potentially compete at center because everyone knew about Corey Luciano, but they also understood that it was a new move. And there was there was Mateo Mele who had gotten a start at Arizona uh -huh. a couple of years before, had some experience. You had you know obviously you had Garen Hatchett who was trying to come in and, and maybe get some snaps there as well. There was a after Luciano. I mean Luciano was kind of penciled in as a starter, but there felt like there was a legitimate competition. 
Mm-hmm. Whereas this year, it, it feels like kind of the same thing, but at least with Mele, you've got that previous experience. He knows what to do. He's been there before. He was the backup last year. And so he's just kind of stepping in right where it came off. Yeah, I know that a lot of people take a look at you know Parker Brailsford and compare him to Nick Harris. And when you take a look, what's he listed as the roster? 6'2", 272. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Still pretty light. Mm-hmm. So yeah. we'll, we'll, it'll be interesting to eyeball him. And do, you remember, see. do you remember McKenna Ikahara? Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's a blast from the past. Remember yeah. what he played? I remember when he played against Cal. 250. And he was like two, probably 250, oh, 255. And he was 252. Well, I remember talking to Scott Huff and, and Scott Huff toward the end of the year, and I asked about just the progress of Parker Brailsford. And I remember Scott Huff saying, you know, if we can put weight on him, if we can get him to the size we want him to be, which is about 285, 290 is where they want him to be, they, if he can get there, he said <coughs> he, could, he could start for us for three years. But he said that's going to be the problem because he doesn't have the biggest frame in the world. Yeah, so, so that'll be interesting. But, you know, going over to another battle that's just going to be it, – it seems kind of like plug and play, mix and match, that defensive backfield between, you know, uh, left corner, right corner, you know, free safety, strong safety, husky position. It sounds like there's going to be a lot of guys who can play multiple position, and they've got a lot of guys and they've got a lot of experience. I don't know if they have the talent that they've – had in the past, but they sure seem to have a lot of guys. Right now, heading into spring, if I was making out my depth chart and and saying who I thought, if people said, Scott, you know, gun to your head, what's the starting, what's the t- two deeps at the corners? It would be Jabbar, Muhammad, and Thaddeus Dixon are probably your starters. And then Elijah Jackson and, uh, and uh, J.B. on green as your backups. Um, I just don't think Devon Banks has what it takes. I, I, I just don't. He's got to get healthy first. Well, obviously, he's got to get healthy. But a lot of people, one of the big criti- critiques of him was that he had the, he was a track guy playing football. And so he had great straight line speed, great quickness. But he, was, he just wasn't a football player. And so he's still trying to learn to be a football player. But remember a year ago. What was he always doing when he mm-hmm. made when he was when he was getting opportunities? Interceptions. He was making plays. Yeah, he was. And, so he, yeah. you know, and so he has that ability. Clearly, it's been shown. Mm-hmm. Now he was doing it a, a, an awful lot more in practices than he was in games. Uh-huh. To be fair, but that's because I think in games, much like as we found out with Julius Irvin, man, he just got beat up. He just got beat up and. You know, it, there's the only way you can do that is hopefully just get bigger, faster, stronger in the offseason. So when, when I talked about those gains that um, Coach McKeefrey was able to, to get with those guys this year, you're hoping a guy like Devon Banks could, could be one of those guys that made a big gain. The only problem is, is that when he is listed basically as non-contact for the entire spring, mm-hmm. that means how much weightlifting was he probably able to yeah, do? None. Probably none. And so here's a guy that was already set back to begin with. And then if he had a whole off season where he couldn't do anything other than rehab, that's going to set him back, what, six months, maybe? I mean, it's, it's just a hard, it's a hard pill to swallow, no doubt about it, if you're Devon Banks. And they've got to replace, arguably, their best defensive player and their team leader Alex on Cook. defense in Alex Cook. And 
is that going to be uh, Dominique Hampton moving back there? Is that going to be Mish Powell? Is they going to move Mish to you know the Husky that Dominique Hampton yeah. played last year? Or what are they going to do with that position? Think, those those two yeah. positions. I think Mish is probably your Husky, and I think Hampton's probably at safety. But I'll tell you what, a healthy Vince Nunley is going to be hard to keep off the field. The coaches loved him. Yeah. They, I mean, Chuck Morrell raved about him all through spring ball. At the beginning of fall camp, Chuck Morrell raved about him, and then he blows out his knee. Yeah. Um, but I remember some of the play, that one play that he made in, in fall camp, we're, in, we're inside, and he's going to make a play, and he makes a play on, on a pass that should have been a touchdown. Yeah. And he ends up making a pick. Yeah. And, um, I mean, because he comes over from the middle of the field to, to make a play. And so I think he's going to be tough to keep off the field. Uh, another guy that I know the uh, coach Inge loved a lot was Mikel Steen. I was reading up some of the stuff I, that we talked about with him, and the first play of the entire season that he was on the field, interception. Interception, yeah. And then um, I guess it was like a couple play games later, um, it was the first play he was in for that game, yeah. interception. Or maybe yeah. it was a fumble recovery. I don't remember what yeah. it was. His, but, his instincts have yeah. never been questioned. Yeah. He's always – it's been like yeah. banks. Like if he can, if he can get in there – he can make some things happen. A big thing that people have mentioned in the thread <laughs> underneath the story that I did this morning on the secondary was the tackling needs to get better, and I fully agree with that. I didn't make a mention of it in the, the yeah. story, but the tackling needs to get better. And I think some of that will happen with the players being a little bit better at the scheme, knowing where they're supposed to be and everything like that. One of the things that, that really struck me when in talking to DeBoer and, and listening to what he had to say was this idea of kind of positional cross-training. And so I think Washington fans, subscribers of Dogman, you're going to get used to hearing that phrase a lot, cross-training, especially when it comes to defensive backs. Because I got the sense, reading between the lines, he didn't actually have to come out and say it, because I think it was pretty clear. In their postseason review of them going back and looking at all the games and really breaking some things down, I think they felt, especially with all the defensive backs, the Husky, the corner, the safeties, they just did not have the bodies. And they just were not – they did not have the time to prep those guys to be able to have multiple guys that could fill in. And I think in the loss to UCLA, you really saw it. I think in Arizona State, you really saw it. And there were other games where they really had to just – I mean, it was duct tape and bailing wire, guys. I mean, it just was very – hard to watch at times because you, you could tell guys were being put in positions where they probably had not gotten very many reps, if any. And so I think this is this season, like you talked about, like at Husky, Mish Powell could be there, but what does is, what is Cam Fab have to say about that? I mean, if, if Dom Hampton goes back to safety, you'd think Fabi Kalana would be the guy that would be the number one Husky. But as far as I'm concerned, from what I saw from him backing up, uh, Hampton at the Husky position, I didn't see a whole heck of a Aside lot. Aside from Alex Cook, who was the best tackler on the team last year, it was Mish Powell. Yeah. And that's what you have to do from the Husky. I think there's a lot of Miles Bryant yeah. in Mish Powell. I've always said yep. I always feel like mm-hmm. that. He's so if he can play than, in the – Well, he's bigger. a little bit, yeah. But if you can play that slot corner and have those types of instincts, if you could pair Mish Powell's body with, with Miles Bryant's instincts – 
that's that's the player that you need at that Husky position. And, and Scott, you know, you're going to have to familiarize some people. You mentioned two guys that you think are going to be the starters at corner, with Jabbar Muhammad, who is probably the better known of the two guys that you think are going to be. He's the transfer. And from, he might not even be that better known. <laughs> yeah, it, it, so. he's a transfer from Oklahoma State, and Thaddeus Dixon. And people are, I'm sure, when they heard those names, there's those are people that are going. Huh? Yeah, okay, so Jabbar Muhammad. Uh, well, was and two- especially when you see Jabbar Muhammad's w- uh, height. Mm-hmm. 5'9". 5'9". I'm sure there was like a double, huh? Oh, what? What? Yeah, but he plays a lot bigger. I mean, he's basically Miles Bryant, you know, yeah. from a size standpoint. Well, and let's, but- get it, let's not get it twisted. It's not like the days of Jimmy Lake, two six two corners are yeah. gone. Because when you look at you know the Curly Reeds and, and some of these other guys that are yeah. coming in, six one, uh, Bryant six one, so they they they're bringing in some pretty good Do size they have guys. Bryant really listed at six one. I think so. If okay. I looked right. Well, um, is, is he? Are you finding him? Uh, I don't think he's on there yet. I think oh, he's, no, no, he's on the other he's page. He's on the newcomers. Yeah. 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 He's six. Well, six foot one eighty five. Okay. Yeah, and it's more like five ten. Is what I've been Curly Reeds six one one eighty. Yeah. So, uh, Vincent Holmes, six foot, one eighty five. Yeah. So, but again, yeah, you know, so, Muhammad bringing in a five nine guy, you better be a heck of yeah. a cover corner. Well, he was in the in the Big Twelve. I mean, he started for two years at Oklahoma State. Um, he was looking for a new opportunity. Um, I remember talking to him after he committed to the University of Washington. He just said, "Hey, it's a chance to play in a in a in a league that that um, throws the ball around a lot. Not that they don't in the Big Twelve, but he said it's more pro style stuff, and it would get me more ready." for the NFL, and that was one thing that he was looking for. He had the chance to come in and start. I think when he was looking around, he was looking at some other schools, but Washington was losing at least one guy. I don't know if they knew they wanted to move Mish Powell yet uh, to, to, you know, to the Husky, Husky spot. Yeah. So, but, um, yeah, so that's who Jabbar Muhammad is, and that's why I think he's going to be a starter. It's just he's got it done at this level, and I, I, don't, I think it's going to be – it's going to be hard pressed for anybody to beat him out. And then when it comes to Thaddeus Dixon, he's what six? What do they have him listed at? There six. I think he'd be on the regular roster. Yeah. Six one or six two. He's six one one ninety. Yeah, six one one ninety. Um, but when we when we came down, we were they were doing bowl practices, and they remember when the, all those recruits drove up because yeah. they were on their official visit that weekend. Josh Cuevas was there. Right. There are a few other guys that were there. Um, Thaddeus Dixon came walking by me, and he's easily six one, if not six yeah. two, and he was a JUCO All American in one of the best leagues down there in Southern California. So, um, but you know what, Jordan Perryman was was a FB, FCS All American right. when he came here. So, but the thing about I don't want to get too off the track, but the thing about Jordan Perryman, he shut down the Husky wide receivers in camp. Yeah. So. I, I don't know. I, other than him getting injured, I can't tell you what happened. I was going to say, my, to, my pet theory him. on Jordan Perryman was when he got hurt at Kent State, Kent State. It, he was never the same no, guy. No, absolutely wasn't. So, so. so in that sense, when you look at him and trying to compare Jabbar Muhammad and the fans are saying, uh-huh. can this transfer be better than the last transfer? I oh. think so, as long as he can stay healthy, yeah. knock on wood yeah. and the whole bit. Yeah. Because Jordan Perryman, ultimately, for a guy that looks so good in camp and was clearly a number one guy, just never got it done. No. So the bar has been kind of so, overall so set Thaddeus, pretty low. So Thaddeus Dixon, though, he was a first-team All-American JUCO guy um, down at Long Beach uh, City College and um, plays against, played against eventual guys who are going to be in, playing in co- uh, major college football as well as in the NFL eventually. And so um, he's, he's a guy that I think I, – I, I guess I shouldn't pencil him. I sh- shouldn't put him I – I feel like I could put Jabbar Muhammad in – Pen 
right now as the starter. Well, that guy at, doesn't come here the, to exactly. sit, sit on the bench. But Thaddeus Dixon is more like pencil because I think that Elijah Jackson surprised me when Coach DeBoer said that that was a guy who he thinks is making a move. Well, he's, and, he's a guy in that yeah. room. Is, I mean, he's a physically impressive yeah, guy. But is, is. but is it a number two pencil or is it a thick charcoal No, it's the number outliner. two pencil. It's the okay. easier to one to, to erase. Okay. But, okay. but so, um, you know, I – I, the the thing is, the more competition there is at that cornerback position, the better off the secondary is going to be. And again, reading between the lines from what DeBoer said today, guys, I get the sense that if there is a challenger to Thaddeus Dixon, it's going to be Elijah Jackson. Because mm-hmm. yeah. Elijah Jackson is apparently not only came out of, of winter conditioning being the boss, mm-hmm. 40-inch vert and all that, but he, he specifically singled him out as maybe like the one DB he was like, that's the guy we're really impressed with and, right now. And the thing about Javion Green, the reason I put him in my two deeps is when they go to zone, that guy is a zone killer. I, I shouldn't say a zone killer. He's an offensive killer in the zone. Yep. I don't know if he's that bump and run guy that's just going to be able to run with guys. I've, I've gone back and watched some of the games last year when he was in, and he was beat badly against Oregon a couple times, and Nick's just missed his guy. But um, I don't get the but, sense that that was a physical no, problem no, for him. That's just I scheme just, yeah, and it's learning. Ske- oh, it's scheme. It's learning. It's also his technique. He might, he might just not have the feet to be able to get deep, you know, run with guys like that. He might not have the – but whatever it is, he's just so long. I mean, he's, he's 6'2", but his arms are – I think he has like an 80-inch wingspan. He has a long arms. Yeah. And, and that, that's just a killer when they go to his own. And it's an easy meeting for him and Julius mm-hmm. Brown because Julius Brown can go put on the film and go, okay, this is what went wrong. This is what we can do to fix it. This is, these are the things that, the, you know, point A, point B, point C, boom, boom, boom. Yeah. You take care of these in the offseason and during spring and fall – you're going to be light years ahead of where you need to be. And even if you're not a starter in the defensive backfield. You're going to play. You're going to play a lot. Yeah. Everybody played this year. Part of that was because of injuries, but part right. of it was just because they like to rotate Well, and I think part of that's still going to be because of injuries because yeah. apparently, you know, I don't think, and again, the idea of cross-training <laughs> because they just can't get caught with their pants down again. That just Those were direct contributors to the two losses. Yep. And – there again, they're playing a lot of nickel. Their, their base is nickel, mm-hmm. and they're going to pl- play a lot of dime packets. So they're going to have a lot of corners yeah. and uh, you know safeties out on the field at a time, especially when they're talking. You know, with the uh, uh, corners being able to play safety, safeties being able to play husky. You know, and uh, rotate back and forth between that. So. And, not, and not to get too far afield, Kim, because I don't want to really branch out. But uh, you know, we we're always wondering about Demario King. He's listed at six three two fourteen right now. Is he a guy that could end up being moved around a little bit? Again, this cross-training concept, you know, I know they don't have necessarily a ton of bodies, at, excuse me, at linebacker, but they do have quite a bit, and especially with the freshman coming in. I'm wondering if they see positional flexibility in a guy like Tamari Okang, because he is literally a, a blank canvas for us, for the three of us. Well, We've never seen him play. I think a lot of people are still stuck in that concept that there's three linebackers on the field. Yeah. That's there's only there's two. Just, there's only two. And sometimes there's only one. Yeah. I mean, sometimes there's none, you know. So, uh, you know, things uh, – the days of having, you know, four defensive linemen and three uh, linebackers, those are long gone. And that, that would be an unusual package if yep. you see that. But This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. 
You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Uh, Another uh, big thing that we had a chance to talk to Coach DeBoer about is we haven't had a chance to talk to him since the Alamo Bowl and the whole uh, offseason. It was drama with Ryan Grubb. He got a bump right after, you know, uh, the season. And then uh, he was flirting with Texas A&M. A lot of reports about that. Uh, he was bumped up to $2 million. And then on top of that, he was, uh, you know, courted by uh, Alabama. Uh, uh, I think it's pretty well known fact that he flew back to Alabama. He interviewed with Nick Saban, um, unable to – Every report says he got offered the offensive coordinator job at uh, Alabama. We haven't been able to confirm that, but everything indicates that. But uh, he turned that down and came back to Washington, and Coach uh, DeBoer had a chance to address that. Yeah, and Coach DeBoer addressed it, and Coach Grubb addressed it with Softy on the like 16th or 17th when he got a chance to sit down with him. And Grubb said, I basically just told him, don't worry about it. Just trust me. Um, he wanted to go back and see what Alabama was all about. And um, I think DeBoer, when he mentioned it today, he just said, hey, I've, I've had a relationship with Ryan for many years, not just as uh, colleagues that were working together, but we're, we've been friends for a long time. And he said, um, you know, it's good that we have our, our coaches being courted by other schools. That means we're having success. But um, he said, I always just trusted that Washington – with all that we have to offer and what we have going on here. And I knew that Coach Grubb had already poured a bunch into this program, and we have a lot of great things going on here that I have just felt that he was going to stay. Yeah, what people need to really just think about a little bit was this isn't like you going back and talking to the Alabama 24-7 site to work for them. And mm-hmm. This is a lot different. A lot of Wait people a that- Did you do that? No. Okay. <laughs> A lot of people I've talked to said, you know, things have changed with offensive coordinators and assistant coaches. When you talk about a guy like Ryan Grubb, he's got a talent agency working for him and an agent with CAA, Mm -hmm. which was one of the biggest coaching agencies out there and talent agencies. And they've got an agenda, too. They want to promote Ryan Grubb as a brand. They want to promote that we can get you a job job interview with Alabama. Look at what we did. So there was a lot more to it than just Ryan Grubb going back on his own and interviewing with Alabama. He had CAA and his agents in his ear on that. And, you know, one of the guys talked, you know, a highly placed source, you know, they were really concerned about Ryan Grubb because they said when CAA is involved and you get on a plane, Chances of you coming back are slim. Mm -hmm. It happened, but there was a lot more going on in the background with the agency, you know, with Ryan Grubb possibly wanting to get out next year and get a head coaching job. Mm -hmm. But there was a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes with that. Okay, I have two thoughts about that. You're already already poo-pooing it. No, I'm not poo-pooing anything. I just have two thoughts about it. First thought is, 
when Nick Saban calls, you take the call, Kim. You don't have to worry about CAA or you, who, who you're talking it's to not, or anybody else. You, you when Alabama's head coach calls you and says, we want you to come down to Tuscaloosa to interview for the offensive coordinator job, you go down there and you check it out. That's why I don't think there's any problem but here with like the rest saying, of the Washington coaches because like they would if, do the exact same thing. That's like saying if Alabama, if Nick Saban retired from Alabama and Alabama called Kalen DeBoer, you don't see any way that Kalen DeBoer would say, I'm happy here? Well, but that's a whole, that's, that's an entirely different situation because you've taken Nick Saban out of the equation. Yeah. I'm talking Nick Saban, Kim. Nick Saban calls and says, Ryan Grubb, we want you to come down and take a look at our offensive coordinator job. You look at it. But you look and, at, there's nothing wrong with looking well, at it. Well, I, you may believe that, but I don't think that's necessarily true with everybody else. When you've got a coach that... Yeah, but you, how can he... He can't control that. Sure he can. You, you gave him a bump after the season. You gave him a bump after he flirted with Texas A&M. You thought he's wrapped up. The guys, all of the guys on offense that he said he would be returning, and they in turn returned with, um, you know, uh, Fautanu, with Odunzi, with McMillan, Michael Penix, we're going to build something special. And when he took that interview, the deadline for those players entering into the NFL draft, it had passed. They can't go to the NFL. So I know for a fact that there were some people not happy with that and felt a little bit of a slight there, and I'm sure he's repaired those things. But I know that everybody, there's a lot of people that weren't happy about that happening with the um, the sales pitch he gave for all of those guys to come back. Well, and you sure. say he ta- you say he takes the call? Is this a price for taking that call? What's the price of him well, taking that call? Well, I think he lost some trust for his players, and hopefully he's been able to uh, reinstill that cost. Okay, but so let's set this up. No, let's no, set this no, up you're, for Michael, a you're Michael Penix. Yes, you are Michael Penix. Ryan Grubb goes to Alabama, yep. he comes back, and Michael Penix comes to him and says, what are you doing? And you'd be like, if you're in my position, what would you do? Yeah. Michael Penix would go, yeah, I'd probably take the call yeah, too. No, but he's, he, Michael Penix may say, you gave me your word you're going to come back and we're bringing the band well, back together. This leads me to my second yeah. comment. Okay, so the first comment is when Nick Saban calls, you take the call. Second comment is Ryan Grubb, you, you mentioned CAA and all this stuff. You know the reason why Ryan Grubb came back to Washington? Because he, rem- he remembered that he's Ryan Grubb. And Ryan Grubb doesn't do these kinds of things. Ryan Grubb, because he's part of Kalen DeBoer's coaching staff, all those guys are extremely down to earth. They're common sense guys. At the end of the day, he listened to the pitch. He understood it. But he also understood all the things that he had done leading up to that call and realized, oh, yeah, by the way, oh, yeah, I did say Michael Penix, come back. Troy Fautanu, come back. Oh, yeah, all these other guys, come back. And we'll, and we'll make this thing happen in 2023. Once he reminded himself of all those things, it was like, yeah, I can't leave. I, I, I don't want to go down the rabbit hole, right? Because we've had As this conversation. As you just start to go right, down the right, rabbit hole. Right, but um, did Tiger Woods take the call for $700 million for Live Golf? I don't know. He may have. <laughs> but at the end of the day, did he take it? No. 
There you go. But did he take the call? You just gave me the example that he didn't, proved my he, proved no, my point. No, he didn't even take the call. But you, hey, don't, you don't know that. But, How, were you I, okay? I didn't know you had a direct line into Tiger Woods. There's a phone. lot of things you don't know. Yeah. Uh huh. Okay. <laughs> I, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna agree to disagree on that one. Oh, when seven hundred million dollars is put in front of you, I guarantee you, you look at it. Now he may have only looked at it for five seconds and gone, no. He didn't fly to Saudi Arabia. <laughs> but anyways, uh, but would anybody have looked at him twice if he had? Yeah, but anyways, uh, let's go ahead and get this wrapped up, Scott. We've got practice at eight thirty on Monday morning. Uh, I forgot to ask if that's going to be inside or outside. Um, if it's outside. Good. It will be outside? Okay. Unless it rains, then they'll move it inside. Yeah, bundle up. But uh, you know, just final thoughts on just wrap. Are you making up. this up now Now that you're going to Vegas? You're going you're gonna, well, to play weatherman on us? Yeah. Well, the thing is, um, I've been covering the team for 20 years with you guys. I don't remember them ever starting this early for spring ball. This is the first time. Well, and they've happened, never split right? it up either. No. Should we go into well, some co- of the reasons well, he talked coach, about wanting well, to split Pete, them up? Coach Pete split it up. He did? I don't not like this. That. Not well, like no, this. No, not like this. But he split, he definitely split it up. Yeah. Well, the main reason, which is in, the the ironic thing that I learned from Coach DeBoer talking about splitting it up, was that they were more interested on what it did for them on the back end. Mm-hmm. So that because they get an extra week now at the end of April and then all of May, so they feel like that's going to really help them on the road in terms of recruiting. Well, last year, which the was spring huge. game was on. The spring game was on the 30th, right? Or the yeah, 29th. it was basically like literally almost the last yeah. day of April. And then April. the next day, the players had to get into the portal. Right. And and right. and stuff. I remember it was real late yeah. in the process. And, and ultimately, the reality is you're giving, you're giving your players an extra week if they want to make those kinds of decisions, which is all well and good. But think about it from the coach's perspective. Mm-hmm. Now they get an extra week to at least – survey the landscape and if a player or two want to make the decision to go now they have a few extra days where they can you know really start to hammer in who they can do you remember in. who the where the numbers are at what do they need to lose isn't it like i think three? it was like three yeah. yeah i think three at this point now it's two with mm-hmm. julius Irvin retiring yep. so i'll update the numbers as well Wrap it up, Scott. Oh, sorry, sorry. Uh, but anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, I, I'm just. Uh, it's hard to believe that it's already here. You know, I remember when the dates came out, and we were like, um, we got to start our previews here pretty soon. So, um, but yeah, it's going to be fun to kind of see what these guys look like in year two. Um, we know what Michael Penix can do in this offense now. Uh, we know what Washington's offense can look like. Uh, the defense still has a long way to go to get them to a championship level, and I think they've made some improvements that will put them there. Um, but, uh, yeah, this is the start of it. It's crazy. Chris Fetters, wrap it up. Yeah, first of all, a lot of number changes. I think we'll go into that maybe down the road in a day or two. Um, yeah, a lot of guys changing numbers. Um, two things I really gleaned from DeBoer in, in listening to what he had to say were that things – are so much we're so much easier now for them in the offseason in terms of raising the standard of what is considered hard for them. And so I I'm curious to see how that's going to show itself in spring football. Like how much more of just the running around and how much more certain guys are going to look in terms of just bigger, faster, stronger, that kind of thing. And obviously the other thing that struck me, and it's not really a, a thing that DeBoer said that was like earth-shattering anything, but he did remind us all that the greatest gains in any new program are made from year one to year two. 
So if they just finished the season at 11 and 2 and they just went through an off season where they've reestablished to themselves what the concept of hard is and the greatest gains are made from year 1 to year 2, how do they improve on that? That's the biggest question for me that I'm going to be kind of thinking about in the back of my head as I go through spring football. How are these guys literally going to improve on 11 and 2? But given what they've been able to do in the offseason, which it sounds like they were able to make some really amazing gains, and, and just DeBoer's demeanor and, and just kind of the general sense you got is he's, he's excited. You can tell he's really chomping at the bit. And, I, again, one of the reasons why I think they were really down with splitting the schedule early to get these three practices in is he said, we're kind of ahead to the point where guys, you could just tell, guys want to get out in the field. And so let's just do that. Let's just get these guys out in the field, get them acclimated, get them going. I honestly thought it was because they had so many new guys that they could maybe get them a, a, a quick few practices so that by the time they came back at the end of March, they'd really be uh, you know, able to hit the ground running, things like that. But obviously there were so many other reasons why they did it. So I think starting Monday it's going to be really, really interested to see how this offseason's really played out. Yeah, football offseason. No such thing. So, again, we start up on Monday. And for those who aren't subscribers, we're running a couple of promotions right now. Uh, for those that uh, uh, are interested in an annual subscription to dogman.com, we're running 50% off for the next week. We'll be running that. So 50% off your annual subscription. And then for those who don't want to commit to a year, if you sign up at the 9.95 per month, Still, I don't know if you call it a promotion, but if you're doing $9.95 a month right now, uh, after the seven-day trial period, you'll have full access to Paramount+. Plus. Uh, we've got to be careful how we promote that because uh, CBS gets a little bit uh, uptight with people canceling their uh, Paramount+. Plus. But if you do the $9.95 per month right now, uh, you will be able to access Paramount+, Plus after seven-day trial period. And a lot of good stuff right now on Paramount+, Plus with uh, 1923, Mayor of King's, Kingstown, uh, Tulsa Kings, which is, there's some really good stuff out on uh, Paramount Yellowstone, Plus right now. Yellowstone, 1923. No, uh, Yellow, Yellowstone's not on Paramount Plus. It's on Paramount, not Paramount Plus. Oh. So it's... it's didn't know there was a difference. Yeah, there is. Okay. It's kind, it's kind of a weird... My mistake. I've been watching it on... I thought I'd been watching it on there, but... It's okay. kind of weird. 1923, 1980, or 1883 are both on there? Some really good stuff out there. So uh, basketball, we're going to have to keep an eye on that uh, with uh, the Pac-12 tournament starts next week on Wednesday. I will be down there, so we'll see what happens. Um, you know, if Coach Hop uh, doesn't, he needs to win a couple of games down there. If not, things could get interesting. So just remember, you know, keep it tuned in here at dogman.com. For those who aren't subscribers and just listen to the podcast, the good stuff isn't on the front page. It's on the hardcore football, hardcore basketball, and hardcore recruiting message boards and the forums. So that's where we put a lot of the inside stuff and stuff that we are not willing to put out on the front page, a lot of the rumors and stuff. So it's the message boards. It's a big part of your subscription. So we'll be back at it Monday, uh, early morning practice. We'll give a full report on that as well as a podcast. So just keep it tuned in here at dogman.com, and we will get you taken care of. So for all of us at dogman.com, I'm Kim Grinnells along with Chris Fetter, Scott Eklund, Go Dogs. Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance. Avoid a war. 
executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You don't want to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount+.